श्री गुरु वैष्णव गुरु परंपरा की जय हरि नाम प्रभु की जय बहुत प्रेमानंदे सो वी वर डिस्कसिंग लास्ट नाइट अबाउट द फर्स्ट ऑफ सिक्स थिंग्स दैट रूप गोस्वामी हैज डिस्क्राइब्ड एज अनफेवरेबल द भक्ति द थिंग्स दैट शुड बी अवॉइडेड पर्टिकुलर इन द कॉन्टेक्स्ट ऑफ शरणागति अमंग अदर थिंग्स देयर आर थिंग्स दैट शुड बी अवॉइडेड एंड थिंग्स दैट शुड बी एक्सेप्टेड that are unfavorable and favorable to bhakti respectively and um, in the verse describing the six unfavorable things we find that it begins with a very broad term and it's worth noting that the verse under discussion atyahara prayashas cha prajalpo niyamagra janasangas chalogam cha sadbhi bhakti sadbhi bhakti varnashiti is a verse that's found originally in a book called Hatha Yoga Pradeep. So Rupa Goswami has more or less taken it from there with a slight adjustment something like Sadbir Yoga Vinashati Sadbir Bhakti Vinashati. So these things aren't good for Hatha Yoga either. Overeating and so forth the other things that we'll discuss and as we can see practically it extends in its reach beyond the limits of yoga a discipline for self realization into the realm of just practical everyday good advice don't eat too much like your mother would tell you don't overeat seems simple but it's a huge problem at least in my country of excess obesity is one of the major uh, killers so the tongue is voracious in the stomach demanding and this verse in a sense then consists of very practical common sense advice and so spiritual life is not impractical it's very practical very uh, down to earth and very much about living in in the world in a meaningful way and not about escaping from it or being irresponsible and uh, say being impractical So we're on the low end of his description of the path of course but this is worth noting sometimes we wonder that uh is this my involvement in this have any relevance to the world that I live in we may wonder like this I've said before that in monastic life this often occurs where the person wonders the novice wonders what does my life as a monastic and spiritual practitioner a sadaka as we call it what relevance is it to the world but as time goes on he or she will think what relevance is the world to my life as a sadaka you understand I've written about this briefly in a, one issue of ananda i believe that uh, the fact of the matter is it's very relevant to the world the life of a sadaka and at the same time the world is not very relevant <laughs> to the life of a sadaka and that's the type of life that uh, we're embarking upon here it's not a liberated life in one sense but it's not materially conditioned life either it's a life that fosters liberated life and um, very dignified full of common sense very practical don't overeat Rupa Goswami says it's almost you think on becoming for such a high person to instruct on such a low level 
where he is preoccupied to come and say to you, don't overeat this. His grace, I used to say, I do say about Prabhupada, something similar, that um, the greatness of a person is not necessarily that they speak about which they're preoccupied, but when they come down from that with which they're preoccupied, that being such a high thing, and speak to us on a level that we can begin to have access to that. So, this is, in my opinion, characteristic of Prabhupada. He talked on a, on a basic level about Krishna consciousness, but he was not just a ABC student. It's like when the teacher writes A, B, C. <laughs> you should know that he or she can write A, B, C, X, Y, Z and make sentences and paragraphs and so on and so forth. And not that he or she's limited to that understanding of compassion, kindness, grace, and for no other reason. Bringing themselves down from such a level to address us on our level. So, you can imagine now, this is the idea. Rupa Goswami has come to you and he's saying, don't overeat. <laughs> Such a high person. <laughs> this is just, he's trying to bring you in some beginning way. Don't do things that won't be favorable to bhakti, that incidentally will be unbecoming, even in a material sense. I'm appealing to you, he says, with common sense, that which is so rare and lacking in the world. Conduct yourself in this way. It's in your own interest. He's talking about here something with regard to overeating, for example, that's universally accepted. And universally accepted intellectually, but universally um, abused or not applied. This is a, the extent of our pathetic material condition. We do things that we know with our own Good common sense, based on our own experience, are not in our interest, but we do them anyway. So if we are honest and sincere, examine ourselves, we'll see that we are a huge candidate for welfare, for help, helpless, in need. This is a sign of strength, acknowledging this, recognizing this is a sign of strength. And this kind of negative feeling of necessity, this is indicative of having positive standing in spirituality. And the Upanishad had said somewhere that he who says he knows Brahman does not know Brahman. But she who says she does not know Brahman knows Brahman. Unknown and unknowable, something like that. So this is relative to the next uh, thing that Rupa Goswami describes. He says, Atyahara prayashascha. Don't overeat and don't try to know too much either. Overknowing, something like that. Prayasha means uh, endeavor, actually. So he's saying don't over-endeavor. But this word has been used in a nice way in relation to the tendency within us to try to know everything and control the situation in our lives by the strength of our mental and intellectual prowess. When Chaitanya Mahaprabhu departed from Jagannath Puri 
to go to South India. Then um, the great Sarvabhauma, Bhattacharya, who was a knower, who was a very, very learned person, perhaps the most learned person in India. As I've mentioned before, his name is in Encyclopedia Britannica as the leading logician of all of India, Vasudev Sarvabhauma. Him and his disciple, Raghunath Shiromani, Raghunath wanted to write a book that would establish him as this, the best logician in all of India. And one day he was on a boat crossing the Ganges with Nimai Pandit, who had a book that he was reading. And Raghunath asked him, what was the book? Could he see it? And so Nimai Pandit gave him the book and Raghunath began to read it and then he began to cry. The Mahaprabhu asked, what have I written that has made you cry? And he said that I wanted to become the greatest logician in all of India, but reading your book, which is a book on logic, because I know it isn't impossible. So Mahaprabhu said, oh, well, give me the book back. And Mahaprabhu took it and threw it in the Ganges. And Raghunath became the leading logician in all of India. <laughs> what he learned from Mahaprabhu, I'm not sure. <laughs> but it's much for us to learn from this. Mahaprabhu felt that that was nothing. Such an insignificant, small thing to become the leading thinker of the world. A small thing in terms of what he was interested in. So, upon his departure from Puri to South India, Sarvabhoma, who had become a convert, the elderly and sober, Sarvabhoma had become a convert of the young and charming Nimai Pandit, who was now known as Sri Krishna Chaitanya, the young sannyasi, with his new religion, as it seemed. And um, Sarvabhoma humbly put forward a request to Sri Krishna Chaitanya, that you are going to South India, I have one request, please stop and meet with Roy Ramananda. Previously, I've met with him and could never understand him. I used to make fun of him and call him a Vaishnav, thinking it was a derogatory term. And I could never understand what he was talking about. But having met you and gotten Vedanta from you, as he did, he sought to teach Chaitanya Mahaprabhu Vedanta, but ended up becoming a student of Mahaprabhu's form of Vedanta. So having got that Vedanta from you, proper understanding of Vedanta. This Vedanta, as I said the other day, that it is a human form of Vedanta that meets with our humanity and makes sense out of it. While taking it apart, it makes sense out of it nonetheless and finds something positive and redeeming in it. The expression of the soul in the context of humanity, there's something to learn from that about what is the nature of ultimate reality. That's not something just to do away with, to dissolve the urge for love and uh, emotional life and so forth, that Advaita Vedanta will dismantle and disperse and try to retire its doctrine of, of knowledge. Gaudiya Vaishnavism comes to affirm what you are seeking in your humanity. Love, it is attainable. Just do it like this. Make it Krishna-centered. Krishna is that center that has the capacity to reciprocate in love in the full sense of the term. So having heard this uh, Vedanta from Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, then he began to be able to make some sense 
out of what it was that Ramananda Roy had spoken to him about in the past. Previously, he couldn't understand it. It's not that Mahaprabhu talked with Sarvabhama about the highest things. No. He talked with him about Vedanta from a devotional perspective. And Ramananda did not speak with Chaitanya Mahaprabhu about Vedanta, about Rasananda. So Sarvabhama was anyway, he got some idea. They got like the foundation, the logical foundation on which a life of love is built from Mahaprabhu. So he could make some sense, some logic, some he could reason, make some sense out of what Ramananda was about. So he said to Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, you go and speak with him, and there you will find someone who's on the same page as you. You'll be able to thrive in his company. And Mahaprabhu said, yes, you are my Siksha Guru, your order I must take. So certainly I will meet with him. Mahaprabhu posed himself like this, like the student of Sarvabhama Bhattacharya, Siksha Guru. And under the advice of his Siksha Guru, he then met his Ragmarg Guru in the form of Roy Ramananda. Mahaprabhu was a sannyasin and Ramananda was a government official. And they came at the same time by the arrangement of providence to bathe in the Godavari. Mahaprabhu with his water pot, Kamandalu, and Brahramananda on a palanquin with drums beating and trumpets playing, carrying him to the river just to take a bath, a whole procession and a parade and musicians and so forth. This is the contrast between the two. One person ostensibly a materialistic person, the other person a yati, a renunciate, a tyagi. Nothing in common, it would appear, externally, but so much they had in common. They met, they embraced, they wept, they, they shivered, trembled, changed colors, and people witnessed and wondered. This is a social anomaly. How these two can be intimately associated, this does not conform with the social and religious standards. They couldn't make any sense out of it from a socio-religious point of view, but that didn't matter to them either. That that which Roy Ramananda and Chaitanya Mahaprabhu were about started to come in them as well, and they began to cry also, without knowing why. Mahaprabhu said, are you Ramananda? He said, yes. <laughs> I've come to meet with you at the request of Bhattacharya Sarvabhama. And so their famous conversation began, in which we find the theistic apex, the zenith of Chaitanya Charitamrita. And Mahabhu asked him first, what is the goal of life, the supreme goal of life? And so Ramananda Roy was a little cautious at first. After all, he had met with the likes of the most learned person in India, and that person couldn't understand him. So he was accustomed to being misunderstood. What he could share with others as to his preoccupation and his realization and so forth was questionable in his mind. His heart was raging in an extraordinary expression of transcendental love, the likes of which was very difficult to convey 
to others. He would find himself readily misunderstood. And as I say, even by big, big scholar like Sarvabhombhata Charja, no one to talk to. Now a sannyasin was asking him, what is the goal of life? And he wasn't sure what I can tell him exactly. And why is he asking me? He's a sannyasin. Most people think this is the goal of life, to take sannyas and become a mukta purush, a liberated person. And I think that's a small thing, nothing. Some people think I'm crazy to say such, that liberation is nothing, insignificant. has no positive value, practically. So what will I tell him? So he began in a very general way, by speaking about Varnashram. And please Vishnu, by living according to Varnashram, some kind of remote idea of bhakti, because bhakti is about pleasing Vishnu. The Mahaprabhu says, that is external, say something more. He said, then do, do your work and offer the result to Krishna. Mahaprabhu said, that is also external, say something more. Then he said, well, then do bhakti mixed with jnana. Mahaprabhu said, that's also external. It has nothing to do with what I'm interested in. So as he goes on like this, this Ramananda Roy realizes I can go further with him. I can say something. He's different. He's beyond the Varnashram. He's beyond Karma Mishra Bhakti, Gyan Mishra Bhakti. So he said, he threw this at him. He took a leap at this point. He took a leap. He could have said many other things in between, but he took a leap and he said, Gyan Shunya Bhakti. This is the sadhya. Gyan Shunya. Bhakti unencumbered by Gyan. And he quoted a verse from the four-headed one, Brahma, well-thought-out person. We talked about trying to get the world between your ears and figure the whole thing out and control it and so forth. Well, Brahma, the four-headed one, is the creator. So he's well-thought-out. He thought in all, all directions about the world, what it was and so forth. And, and what did he find? He's the creator. At one point within his creation, he found something that he couldn't understand at all. And he's the creator. He found the gods celebrating the childish acts of a young boy, young cowherd in the forest. And so he went to investigate. And there he found him with a lump of rice and yogurt in his left hand, and he was putting food in his friend's mouth, and they were putting food in his mouth, and he's taking it out of their mouth and putting it in his mouth, and they're taking it out of his mouth and putting it in their mouth, and this uh, just like children they were. And he was bewildered. The gods are celebrating the acts of this person, giving attention to him. They have so many responsibilities, universal duties, and so forth. And they're becoming distracted just for this. What's going on in my administration here in the world? So there he came to see what was going on. And he, and he explored the situation. And in the end, of course, he found out that he knew very little about his creation. The power for which to enact the creation was drawn from beyond himself and from that same person, actually, now appearing as, as a gopa in the Vrindavan forest, 
Krishna showed him, this is Brahma Vimohan Lila, the Lila in which Brahma becomes Vimohan, very confused. It's easy to become confused with one head, but with four, it's harder, but then four times more confused when you are confused. So it's called Brahma Vimohan. <laughs> very bewildered he was, very confused. <laughs> And uh, Brahma knew that from Vishnu, from Narayan, comes innumerable universes. But he saw from Krishna, innumerable Narayans had come. He understood Krishna's two Bhagavan Sayam. This is the narrative placed in the Leela, the description of the Leela, in which this point of tattva that is so central to the Bhagavatam, that Krishna is the Supreme Personality of God. This is where it is played out. Three chapters of the 10th canto, 12, 13, 14 of Srimad Bhagavatam. So, after he saw this huge display of Aishvarya, this is, as a side point, something worth taking note of, that Vrindavan is said to be most perfect, and Mathura is said to be more perfect, and Dwarka is said to be perfect. Krishna is perfect in Dwarka, or complete in Dwarka. He's more complete in Mathura and most complete in Vrindavan. Most complete means most complete in terms of Aishparya, most complete in terms of Madhurya, and most complete in terms of Kripa, mercy. He showed the most complete form of mercy in Vrindavan by delivering Putana, who came to poison him by smearing poison on her breast, giving the infant poison poisoned breast milk. How horrible. This is a huge contrast with infant and such an insidious act. But Krishna gave her eternal motherhood in relation to him. The sweetness of Vrindavan is well known. He doesn't show himself to be more sweet anywhere. Chased by Mother Yasoda, tied up by him. Very charming. And in terms of Aishvarya, this Brahmavi Mohan Leela gives us the example. There's no more majesty, greater display of majesty found in Bhagavan's Leela than this. Again, innumerable Narayans coming from, from Krishna, from whom innumerable universes and innumerable Brahmas came. So Brahma saw himself to be very small and insignificant and very incapable of bringing the world within the fist of his intellect, capturing and knowing comprehensively. And so, among other things, in a chapter penned by Vyas Roy of so many wonderful verses, Brahma's prayers, among one of them he said this, and this is the prayer then that Roy Ramananda cited when he took a leap and thought, this person is different, this sannyasi is different, we have something in common, I can tell him everything. Indeed, he knows everything. And he's bringing out in me all these things. Mahaprabhu, as a sadhaka, appearing as a sadhaka, as a devotee, wanted some confirmation for what it was churning in his heart. He couldn't get it from Sarvabhauma about the charger. He wasn't on that level. He's a newcomer, a new recruit. Brihaspati. Rai Ramananda's gopi. And a close friend of Radha. Vishaka Gopi, Vishaka is another name for Radha. They're born on the same day under the same constellation, named after the constellation. 
and he came to taste the ecstasy, the love of Radha for himself, Sri Krishna, as Sri Krishna Chaitanya. So Ramananda Roy, very, very capable person for guiding him. So appearing as a sincere sadhaka, the feelings in, within that he was experiencing, he wanted some confirmation. Ramananda spoke to that. Mahaprabhu could understand. Oh, he knows my heart. He's, this is the experience of guru that we get. We have something, we feel something within us. We can't quite explain it or articulate it. Then we meet our Gurudev and he speaks or she speaks in such a way that it just confirms and more what we were feeling. It speaks about it, it puts it into words. But we maybe kind of thought, felt or something like that. So the experience is that the Guru is not different from our own heart. It's not a foreign and artificial imposition, some legal law that you must have a guru, but I must. I must. This is my interest. My fortune lies here. My own prospect, my own heart has come before me in a form, in a developed form, what I could be, what I would like to be what I thought without being able to explain it I could be but was shy to say it nobody else would listen to the idea it didn't make any sense I thought I was on my own (laughs) and I found no there's a whole world of people like this and one of them has come my time has come something like this this way he felt comfortable with Ramananda, and Ramananda comfortable with him, and so the conversation went on. And at this point in the conversation, there's a huge leap. We go from all externals to the basis of the idea that would be developed by Ramananda to the satisfaction of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Gyan Shunya Bhakti. He quoted this prayer of Brahma, who, as I'm explaining in Brahma Vimohan Leela, realized the nature of ultimate reality is such that you can never grab it and hold it within a fist of your intellect and know it. It's unknown, unknowable, but lovable. To love him is to know him. We used to have a song when I was a kid. It was to know, know, know him is to love, love, love. You know one of those 50s songs. It's quite cute, but uh, profound. To know, know, know him is to love, love, love him. Something like that. So by loving him, you can know him as best you can this is real, real knowing. <laughs> As I've said before, there's a kind of knowledge that's in love, it's essential knowledge, nothing extra. In this verse of Brahma, jnane prayashuda pasyanamanteva, it said, get rid of all extra knowing. We talked about atyahara, overeating. It also means over-collecting and over-trying to know. And here, prayasha means endeavor. Rupa Goswami says, don't over-endeavor. It means don't make jnana prayash. Karma prayash, yoga prayash, and especially don't make pratishta prayash. Don't endeavor. It says, stane stita shutikatam tanavanmanobir. Don't try to go anywhere, Brahma said. It means what? In Gyan Marg and Karma Marg, we're trying to go somewhere. In Karma Marg, we're trying to go within the world, exploit it, make something out of ourselves from the world, enjoy the world control the world in that way by acquisition 
And Ganmarg, we're trying to move away from the world, renounce the world. Both are worldly-centered, to exploit the world and to renounce the world. But spiritual life, by contrast, is centered on bhakti, about, is centered on giving, on pleasing Bhagawan, not trying to take from Bhagawan in a childish way. This karma marg is like a very childish conception of God. Because what do children do? They give me, give me, give me, they just take. Give me, give me, give me. I want, I want. So karma marg is like this. It's a very childish conception of God. What God can do for me? No interest in what, what God might want. Or very little. Only enough to know that if I do this, you'll be pleased, you'll give me something. This is how children act. They want to know what their parents want enough to know how to do that to get what they want. So this is a very selfish, childish idea of God. And then Ganmarg, by contrast, although it looks spiritual, actually, it's kind of like uh, the difference between blue-collar and white-collar crime. We call it blue-collar means like the lower-class person goes and robs the grocery store or something like that, or robs the bank. And then the white-collar crime, he's on the computer and he adjusts the figures in the corporation. And millions of dollars are going to his bank account, but he appears like such a respectable CEO of the corporation. And the president is patting him on the back <laughs> for being such a good citizen and so forth. And meanwhile, he's stealing millions and millions of dollars. So, more difficult to detect. But Ganmarg, in and of itself, there's nothing spiritual about it. It's also extremely selfish, only about not suffering. Kamamarg is about enjoying. We want to enjoy. And the means to enjoy is only that they pursue, only affords them suffering. And Ganmarg, I don't want to suffer. I don't want to suffer. It's just about I, even though they seek to extinguish the I, because it's just a suffering <laughs> conception, something like that, in their view. But this is, this is very selfish. Therefore, you'll find in the world today, in the contemporary spiritual marketplace, the only paths that have any real currency are those that speak about the heart, Advaita Vedanta speaking about the path of the heart, or Buddhist traditions that call themselves the middle way, the path of the heart, compassion. The Dalai Lama is very uh, popular for his emphasis on compassion. These paths about the heart, about love, about giving, they have some currency, they're attractive. But <laughs> we're really kind of scraping the bottom of the barrel comparatively to call Advaita Vedanta path of the heart or call Buddhism the path of love and compassion in comparison to something like Gaudiya Vedanta, the just overflowing conception of love and heart from beginning to end. After all, Compassion can only be exercised in relation to people who are less off than myself. And we have another situation. This Karunya, Rasa, Mother Yasoda is showing empathy for Krishna, pity for Bhagwan. This is a very different idea. And, and other expressions of love as well, all in relation to him, all possible. So a very, a very different idea. It's truly the path of the heart. 
And these paths of Gyan Marg, although they have, in a very abstract sense, some love and that they seek to forego the gross exploitation of material acquisition and so forth, the heart is barely beating on these paths at all. But interesting to note that only if they talk about them like this do they have much potential of attracting any patrons. So then, how much attractive Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's teaching should be if we take the time to understand it and explain it to others. This is truly a path of, of love. Both of these paths, Gyanmarg and Karmamarg, as they say, are about going somewhere. Brahma said, Stane Sthita, stay where you are. You don't have to go anywhere. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to change positions. You understand? Karma means trying to go somewhere in one direction. Gyanmarg move away in another direction. Brahma says, now he's got it. I've got it. Stay where you are. That's all. And don't try to endeavor. He's particularly talking about Gyan Prayasha, but Karma Prayasha also, Yoga Prayasha. And especially, let's say, Pratishta Prayasha, endeavoring for one's own, like, self-aggrandizement. This is the worst kind of endeavor. This should be very much avoided. This will be very unfavorable to bhakti. But any of these types of effort, endeavor, bhakti vinash, he says, and Brahma in this prayer, and I'm citing where this word is used, jnana prayash, in relation to jnana, this is often emphasized, it was emphasized by Ramana. Mahaprabhu embraced it, he said, yes, now we're getting somewhere. You're talking about prem, aren't you? He said, yes, prem sadhya. Prem is the sadhya, and jnana shunya, and the prem he's talking about here, he's already skipped over the whole of Baikunta. As I said, he took a leap from Gyan Shunya Bhakti. He leaped all the way to the Vrindavan. He could see the Sri Krishna Chaitanya. He's an extraordinary sannyasi. Here is someone I can share what I'm about with. So he leaped to Vrindavan. He advocated Gyan Shunya Bhakti. Bhakti unencumbered by Gyan. This is Prem. As I said the other day, Prem Prayojan. This is our goal, Prem. It's our term, Panchama Purushartha, Prem Prayoja, Prayoja, beyond Mukti. Other Vaishnav paths even call their ideal Mukti, although it is a Mukti that is filled with Bhakti, service, still it doesn't take the full form of love like Gaudiya Vaishnavism does, like the Vrindavan Leela, where the knowledge that Krishna is the Supreme Personality of God that is absent, conspicuous by its absence, suppressed by the force of their love. We were reading about it just briefly this morning in the Prapanajivan Amrita in the foreword, where the finite and infinite meet in intimacy. The infinite takes on a finite-like appearance to make that union and intimacy possible. And so there is great majesty in Vrindavan. As I said, Brahma saw the measure of Aishvarya that has not been shown elsewhere. But of course, the cowherds weren't around to see that. They were all... He hid and he showed it to Brahma alone in the forest. But it wasn't Vrindavan. <laughs> Nonetheless, if the cowherds should see it, something like that, of course, it won't change their position for a minute. 
if they could see the majesty of Krishna, his godliness and so forth, his prowess, which they do from time to time in the Prakat Leela when he defeats this demon or that demon effortlessly. They don't stop to think, oh, that he's God. Goodness. Like Arjuna did in Bhagavad Gita when he saw the Vishparup and he said, oh my God, hey Krishna, hey Yadava, hey Saketi, I talk to you like this. And it's with such familiarity and so unbecoming of me in consideration of who you are. You're God, oh my God. I did that. I sat on the same bed with you and I, I, I joked with you and said, oh, see, my position is better than you. Hey, Saketi. Hey. So, no, it doesn't happen in Vrindavan. This is, this, this, it's, uh, it's, um, it's virtue. By rasa-vichar, analysis, this kind of analysis, this approach we can understand, the supreme position of the devotees of Vrindavan and of Brajendananda and Krishna in terms of all appearances of Godhead. So when they see his godly display of Aishvarya, they just think uh, it doesn't change their love for him. It's secondary. It's like if a mother finds out her son become the president... Then she goes, oh, whatever, as his name calls him. But she doesn't always come to president. I just have to keep a distance now. Not like that. No. It's an ornament. Oh, and he's also the president. <laughs> My son. Did you know? My boy, he's the president. <laughs> so that remains prominent, something like that. So this is ideal that Chaitanya Mahaprabhu embraced. He said, now you're getting somewhere. Go on, explain more about this. Develop this idea of Prem. Prem being the prayogen, Prem being the goal. What does the nature of Prem? Tell me more about it, and so forth. In the conversation with Ramananda Roy, this he found like something positive. Before that, he rejected everything. Not interested in that. Not interested in that. That is external. That is external. And all of these external ideals that are often presented as spiritual, that Mahaprabhu rejected, are all about some endeavor. And Bhakti is by implication here, effortless. There's no endeavor. We ended last night with the idea that there's no endeavor in bhakti. It might have been a bit perplexing because I know you're all trying very hard to uh, pursue devotional life and so forth. So what does it mean, no effort? It's kind of an endeavorless endeavor. We're not stane sita shudikatam You don't have to go anywhere, like in karma marg or gyan marg. Stay right where you are, whatever your position is. And here, it comes from up to down. If God wants us to know about him, we can know. Otherwise not. Position ourselves in such a way that God will want us to know about him. We want to reveal himself to us. Through Guru Parampara, he comes to us. So, there's uh, a kind of endeavor in bhakti. But the endeavor is to, as I say, to position ourselves such as to draw the sympathy of the Lord and his devotees. That's all. Like a young girl might want to draw the sympathy of a young man having found out something about his likes and dislikes. If she finds out, I want to attract his attention and she finds out his favorite color is red and he likes samosas very much. So the next day she's there at the bus stop wearing a red dress and eating a samosa. Happens to have a couple more in her bag, something like that. This way she positions herself to attract his sympathy, having found out something about which he 
he likes. So this is our path. We find out what Krishna likes and what he doesn't like. What is Anukul, what is Pratikul? As these verses are discussing, first about Pratikul, Anukul will come. We do those things. People call them the rules, but they're not rules, really. Understand it like this. They're not rules. This is all a path of love only. So we situate ourselves, position ourselves in such a way as to draw Bhagavan's Shri Krishna's sympathy. So it doesn't require a big effort, power, like karma marg, bank balance, the ability to amass acquisition, to build a big kingdom. It doesn't require a big brain, but simplicity. And uh, like attracts like, so affection. He's all affectionate. To approach him affectionately means what? Not like the karmis approach in a childish way, a childish conception of Godhead, as I mentioned. Not like the jnanis approach in such a way that he's approached, but he evaporates in the whole approach, practically. He disappears. Not like that. But in terms of what he wants. As I said, this is the Vrindavan Bhakti. They're keeping him awake at night. They're so interested in him. They're so interested in him that they know so much about him that he has to look to them to find out about himself. He needs them to understand himself. So, if someone's that interested in you, then they're going to get all of your attention. This is the point. So, this is the endeavor in bhakti. And Gyan Prayasha, in this verse of Bhagavatam, cited by Ramananda Roy, Brahma's verse, particularly this Gyan Prayasha, Perhaps emphasis on this is given over karma prayasha because the karma prayasha is more obviously something that is futile. By material acquisition, we know we get nowhere. Because whatever we may acquire, although here today, is gone tomorrow. But by gyan prayasha, through knowledge or yoga prayasha, it looks like we may be going somewhere. We're going in an inverse way rather than outward for acquisition and exploitation. We're moving away from exploitation. But the way in which we move away from exploitation creates a certain type of sangskar that's not favorable to bhakti because bhakti is all about giving and jnana is all about taking. I don't want to suffer. That's all. I want to get away from suffering. I want to end suffering. We should embark upon the path of bhakti knowing well that there'll be plenty of suffering along the way. So if you're thinking, I want a path that ends suffering, then don't get on this path. It's not about that. It has nothing to do with that. It's about doing what will please Krishna. If it causes me suffering, that's not an issue. If I become happy by doing it, then I become happy by doing it. But it's not about the happiness that will come. Gopis are blissful, but they're not interested in the bliss, except for the fact that it pleases Krishna for them to accept the bliss that comes from serving him. Therefore, they accept it. Otherwise, they're not interested. If they have to suffer for his pleasure, then it's not a problem. Not a, not a second thought. Not a moment's hesitation for that. So you should be clear. This is the path that we're speaking But You can get out now, if you like. It's full of trouble. Service is always going to be full of trouble, as much as you see it as service, or something as drudgery, I should say. But if you do it with proper understanding, happily, then it's, uh, as you say, labor of love is no effort. Mother is laboring hard to take care of her child, infant, but it's effortless for her. It's natural, it's spontaneous. So bhakti should be like this.
This is how it's effortless. As much as love is no effort, but Mother Yasoda is perspiring like anything, chasing Krishna around the courtyard. So there'll be effort, there'll be struggle, there'll be difficulty, there'll be problems, there'll be suffering. And this is the power of bhakti, that in the midst of that, that will come in the course of serving Bhagavan Sri Krishna, it doesn't bother them in the least. So in one sense, this is so ordinary sounding that it's it's hard for people to catch. It doesn't look... Bhakti may enjoy materially. We may undergo suffering, and we'll think spiritual life must be different than that. So there's some effort, but it's the effort of positioning oneself in such a way as to attract the sympathy of Bhagavan and do what's necessary to please him in any given circumstance. So as much as love is no effort, so bhakti is effortless. Therefore, gyan prayasha, this is rejected, or prayasha, atyahara prayashascha, overeating and endeavoring. So endeavoring really here refers to these two other paths. We're kind of like giving a real basic idea, Rupa Goswami says, of what possibilities there are. You can move by karma, power, or by gyan, by knowledge. And we are moving in our material life on these two tracks, for owning and for knowing. Boga, tag, enjoying and renouncing. Renouncing is synonymous with knowledge, because if you know that things don't endure, then you're not going to pursue enduring happiness in relation to them. right? So knowledge and detachment, tag, they go together. So power and, and knowledge, boga and tag, it's a false power of acquisition. These are the two tracks on which our material life is running. And Rupa Goswami says, get off of that track altogether. There will be some knowing, and of course renunciation, which is concomitant to knowing in bhakti. And there will be some acquisition in bhakti also. I mean, we're acquiring as much as we can. Prabhupada used to say, some sadhus say, I do not touch money. And he would say, give it to me. <laughs> I have use for it like this with both arms, I take it, and use it for Krishna. I have a good use for that. (laughs) He's also not touching, in one sense, for himself, like the banker. So much money goes through the banker's hands, but I was at the bank recently. I took out a bunch of money, a large sum of money, and they took me into the chamber in the vault, counted it there, had to go into a private place, and they count it, now I will count it, and then you don't touch it. And then after I count, then I won't touch it. Then only you can touch it. You count it. So this is the system. So I was counting and I was laughing. She said, why are you laughing? I said, well, I bet at home you feel differently when you count money. She said, yeah. She laughed. She said, her and her assistant were just talking about it. That At home, when it's their money, if it's only $10, they have a whole different feel about how they count it <laughs> than if they count $10,000 of somebody else's money that they're just holding for them in the bank. So I said to them, it's amazing what two letters M-Y can do to a a thing, my, how it can change, how you feel about a thing. And they laughed. So as I've many times said, we are our attachments, and that's a problem. So in bhakti, then, there's knowledge, no doubt, and there's renunciation, and there's also acquisition. But both of these two streams so to speak, in which our material life runs are harmonized by bhakti. When they become in touch with bhakti, then they're useful for us. Then the uh, the problem inherent in them, when pursued on their own, is taken out. 
They become harmless. Therefore, we have the term given by Rupa Goswami. Uh, what is it? Yukta Bhairagya. Yukta Bhairagya. So there's some scope for this in relation to bhakti. So this way, he says, we should take the effortless path. No effort. We should make an effort to know Krishna. That's true. But not an effort to know for the sake of knowing. Again, this is about trying to control the situation. Jnana and karma, these two tendencies within us, are all about trying to control reality, get a handle on it. And bhakti is about throwing your hands up like this. It's out of my control, but it's okay. Because I'm putting myself in the hands of the one who's actually in control. And it's good. He's dancing. It's happy. It's affectionate. I feel comforted here. We're reluctant to do such a simple thing. Put our hands up like this. This is Mahaprabhu. Hare Krishna. He's just letting go. And those hands like this waving, this is attracting Bhagwan. This is his weapon. Krishna Varnam Tisa Krishnam Sangopangastra Parshadam. His anga is his astra. His limbs are his weapons by which he's conquering the whole of the Absolute. He's coming down off his chariot. Jagannath, Lord of the Universe. He's pulling him down off the altar, into the street, dragging him through the street. Rathiyatra. <laughs> He's dragging him through the street there. And he cannot even blink. Jagannath. No eyelashes for blinking. Big eyes seeing Mahaprabhu like this. Radha's dancing in the form of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu in the ecstasy of Krishna Sankirtan. And the cart is going, following that, come down off his throne. And where is he? In the proximity of everyone. Available to everyone. Accessible to everyone. Come out from his inner chambers in his lofty seat there. Only served by special people at certain times. And now he's available to anyone and everyone. Everyone can see him. He's so oblivious to his supreme condition that ordinary people can come up and embrace him on the cart. It's true. <laughs> oh, this is how, right like this. Mahaprabhu's hands moving, arms moving. He brought the world within his grasp, so to speak. Like karma, bhagyan, no possibility of attracting him whatsoever. His eyes are closed. He's asleep to that. But to Mahaprabhu's dancing, not even blinking. Not even blinking. And becoming accessible to everyone. So this is so charming, bhakti as taught by Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. We want to get a harness on the whole world and secure our position. But our position, as we think of it, is not securable, especially in relation to karma. In relation to jnana also, it's not secure. It's not a secure position that you'll do nothing forever. No. We have something to do. We are part of an organic whole, and we are to be a contributing, dedicating unit to the center. There's a central purpose. Anandamai. There's a central purpose. And it is happy to make connection with that. This is what life is about. So, Gyan Prayasha and Prayasha, all effort, he says, uh, Bhakti Vinash. This get in the way of Bhakti. Just let go. That's the idea. Follow Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Throw yourself into the hands of the loving, affectionate, absolute, where he will take you. Love is a wild ride where it will take you. You don't know, but you feel it would be good for you. Something like that.
So he says, Atyahara Prayasha Cha. Then what? Prajalpo and Niyamagraha. More things to be avoided. What is the time now? 11.20. Oh, so we'll take that up this evening. Prajalpo, Niyamagraha, Janasangas Chalolim Cha, Sadbir Bhakti Vinashati. Any question? Yes. Could you good one actually give some example of what Jnana Prayasha could be, some concrete example in the life of a sadhu? Well, reading too many books. <laughs> Rupa Goswami has said this is not recommended. <laughs> so even in the context of bhakti, we may try to understand bhakti. There's some place for that where we can make our soft and tender heart and faith strong. But in the context of doing that, if we don't do it in good association, we may lose our faith altogether. Our head may take precedence. And we may try to endeavor to enter and conquer that realm by acquisition of, of knowledge. And uh, even Gaudiya knowledge, it, it just, it's just, there's no limit to that. So when we make too much intellectual endeavor to understand, we may have to do that sometimes for preaching, but we have to do it in good company. Otherwise, the object of our affection becomes the object of our intellect's inspection, and it doesn't answer to intellect, being, by its very nature, categorically different and transcendent to intellect. So by trying to examine it with intellect and being addicted to the intellect's desire to know and not harnessing that and not taking the good advice of Bhagavatam as to the limits of intellect for knowing. And then what we find sometimes, they're gathering knowledge and information and then the devotee is sharing with other people and other people are thinking he or she is very, knows so much, but his or her practices are going down. So we find instances like this. Then... All of a sudden, the whole idea disappears. You try to approach by intelligence alone, you be repelled, thrown down. Pujpat Sridhar told me that when very intelligent people come to me, then I have to just hammer on this point over and over again. Gyan Shunya Bhakti, Gyan Shunya Bhakti. Puri Maharaj once told the story, Pramod Puri Gosami Maharaj, of how a man came to Bhakti Siddhanta Sarasthitakura's scholar and wanted to discuss Bhagavatam with him. And Bhakti Siddhanta Sarasthitakura said, if you want to understand Bhagavatam, and he said it without any facetiousness or cynicism, he said, talk to that man. And that was one of his disciples who was a gardener. He said, he understand, he knows Srimad Bhagavatam. But that intellectual could not be, man could not be satisfied by that. He was making a point to him. So that happens sometimes in the context of Bhakti. A godbrother of mine once was traveling with another devotee and they were marketing Prabhupada's books to college professors and um, there was a pause in the service and the one devotee went one place and the other one went to the library for the day and so when they came back and met the one at the library the other one asked how was your day and he said so much Maya <laughs> and so the other guy said well, it's a lot, of, a lot of young girls on campus today, huh? Or something like that. <laughs> he said, no, it was uh, the books, the library. He was writing something in the library doing his service, but 
all these books on the walls speaking, read me, read me, you can know this, you can know that, all these interesting topics. And he was trying to check himself and just being distracted by the library. <laughs> the other fellow was a little on the grosser level. <laughs> so something like that. That intellect wants to be satisfied. It has a big appetite. But you have to curb it, you have to harness it. And you have to be convinced that it will never be satisfied. And it will never satisfy you, to satisfy the intellect. But to harness the intellect and put it in its place and use it in support of the um, scriptural conclusions about bhakti, then that's a good application for the intellect. So something like that. What else? Any other question? How can we distinguish between sentiments and love? Someone can say like that. He has a lot of love to Krishna, but his sentiments. So what's, what does it mean exactly? Love is sentiment, but real love is sentiment that is well-founded in knowledge. Yeah. That's the difference. We need sentiments at the beginning of the process. Yeah. I hope, yeah, you have to have some sentiment. Exactly, it's good. But then that sentiment that you have has to be uh, brought in harmony with Gaudiya Siddhanta, with the philosophy then you have a good combination. But when the sentiment is such that it's not in concert with the philosophy, then it becomes fanaticism. So let's say, for example, people have sentiment for Prabhupada, right? Yeah. They love Prabhupada. Yeah, they love him so much. <laughs> they love him so much that they teach you to hate me, right? <laughs> Almost like that. They love him so much. What kind of love is that? You understand? Yeah. They say, oh, yes. And they say, well, you love Triparimarsh. You just have some sentiment. You don't know the Siddhanta. We know the Siddhanta. And the Siddhanta is only Prabhupada. <laughs> but only Prabhupada, this kind I'm just generalizing, yeah. but that's the basic idea. It's just a sentiment mm. that is not in concert mm, right. with the philosophy. It's a huge problem. It's called religious fanaticism. It's ironic because any one of these such people, if you ask them, do you know about Christian fundamentalism? You know what Christian fundamentalism is? Maybe not in English you don't know, but Christian fundamentalists, they say Jesus is the only way. Uh, yeah. This kind of thing. If you speak to these people who say, Prabhupada, only Prabhupada, then... You ask them if they understand Christian fundamentalism, they they'll yes, that's the other they think it's very bad. Mm. But they don't understand that they are doing the same thing in their own tradition. This isn't a Christian phenomenon. This is a religious phenomenon. It's quite common. And Prabhupada himself called it religious fanaticism. Sentiment is not in concert with Siddhanta. Just like you take my situation, for example. Prabhupada's my guru and Sridhar Marsh is my guru. Right? Sikshu Guru, no problem. That's the Siddhanta. Siddhanta is one Dikshu Guru, and many Sikshu Gurus are possible. But if you have even one, and it's not in their group, then they find uh, that to be a problem because they don't know the Siddhanta. So they're speaking about love, but it's really kind of mean, actually. It's not, uh, it's not universal. It's religious fanaticism. That is sentiment without knowledge, without philosophy, and philosophy without sentiment, that's no good either, right? Yeah. 
So we want both. Achinta beda beda. Beda bed. Philosophy, bed. And religion, obeyed. So one philosophy and varied expressions of the philosophy. They want little philosophy and only one religious expression. But our whole Siddhanta is about a varied religious expression, a plural expression coming out of one philosophy. You understand? Yeah. So there's one big group you can look to for an example of answer your question. What is sentiment and what is love? <laughs> and so little love. All law. Law misunderstood. If law is properly understood, then there will be love. And the law will disappear. If law is not properly understood, love will disappear. Law will rule, and no one will be happy, but they'll all pretend to be happy. It's like the 1950s or something in America. Everyone was supposed to be happy. <laughs> You're supposed to be happy. How can you not be happy? We have a color TV now. Your mother has a washer and a dryer. Don't you know? When I was a boy, we had to wash the clothes like this. You should be happy. But we weren't happy, so there was the whole 1960s, and <laughs> we had a different idea. <laughs> what was happiness? Something like that. Anything else? Yes. What you said that stanestita means that we can like stay in our position, but I was just reading Bhaktisanda by and Jivasan was saying that he interpreted it as meaning that we should stay in the hermitage of the sages. <laughs> and it sounds like you actually have to go somewhere, you know, and change your position. Mm -hmm. Well, we should stay in good association. That's true. But you don't have to change your social position. Grihe tako, bane tako, sadahadi bole tako. So some of Mahaprabhu's associates were renunciates. Some were householders, right? Mm -hmm. That's the idea. He rendered it in a particular way there, but... The application is broader. You understand the bhakti siddhanta then? Siddhanta bhakti then. Many position. In other words, for jnana, you have to renounce. In jnana, in the verses about jnana, jnana prayasha. So in jnana marg, you have to renounce. That's what it's about. In bhakti marg, you don't have to ostensibly renounce. You can stay in relation to things of the world. Yukta bhairagya without being attached to them. You don't have to give them up by utilizing them in, in the Lord's service. So a householder can also be, in that sense, you have to hear. Of course, it may be better to hear at the hermitage. You might hear more there. <laughs> That's true. Therefore, we encourage people to come and visit us at Audarya, or the sages go and bring some sample of that wherever they go. Main thing is to hear. Stop, listen, instead of trying to go here or there. You don't have to move up the social ladder in Varnashram and go to heaven or leave the Varnashram. You can stay in the world and here. Another question? All right. We'll stop there. See, Rupa Sami Prabhupada Gita.